Welcome to Super Aging Podcast. This podcast strives to promote healthy aging and amplify caregiver voices while raising awareness about dementia. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Fatu Sise. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Carrie Gleason. Dr. Gleason is a scientist and clinician whose research interest stems from her desire to improve diagnostics and treatments of Alzheimer's disease and dementia for all individuals, including women, African-Americans, and other groups traditionally underrepresented in research. Dr. Gleason served as the leader of the inclusion of the underrepresented groups core of Wisconsin Alzheimer's Disease Research Center. Her research program in Alzheimer's disease has two major facets the cognitive effects of estrogen and the estrogenic compounds, and two, health disparities in Alzheimer's disease. They believe that research discoveries should benefit all groups, unify seemingly desperate lines of scientific inquiries. Welcome, Dr. Gleason. Thank you very much for being here. It's a delight to have you on. Today, I wanted to talk to you about women in aging and also talk about menopause and the cognitive impacts on the hormonal replacement. So again, thank you for being here. It's March. We know March is Women's History Month, and you're a woman in science. I wanted to know what is the significance of this month for you? Well, first of all, thanks for the invitation to be here. It's my great pleasure. Yeah. Um, and the, the question is very important. Um, women in science, um, women have made contributions throughout history. But I'll acknowledge that women are one of many groups marginalized by our Western culture that, that seems to want to put a hierarchy on voices. Right. So I have many complex feelings about this. But the most important comment I want to make is that if we marginalize women's voices in science or in any area, we lose such an important perspective and contribution. Mm -hmm. And that women need to find their voice in science and men need to allow that to happen. And again, this is true for any marginalized group. Right. But just talking about women in particular, that is something... Um, that it, women need to find their authentic voice too, which is really, I don't know how many times I've been told that I need to be different somehow. And I think that that being inauthentic or being something you're not is never a good strategy. You want to be authentic in, in your, your work and your way of being. And that means for women to be okay being different than the one size fits all or the typical model. Right. And to your point, to be that authentic voice and be themselves without any fear of repercussion or what that would bring to them. And I think that that still there is some work needed to be done in that area. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't take much to scratch the surface and to hear women talk about their imposter syndrome. Um, and I think so much of that comes from this sense of like, I need to be different. I need to be more like this prototype. Right. Where I think there's such a value in, in understanding that there's different types of voices and they have contributions. You know, I would also, thinking about women in science, want to acknowledge the women who've really opened doors for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think of that expression that we are always on the shoulders of giants. Yes. And want to make sure we do, as myself and other women in science, is make sure that we leave that door open for the women who are coming behind us. That's right. Yeah, that is such an important point. Thank you for sharing that. So this is a super agent podcast. What does super agent means to you? Oh, that is another really good question. I thought about how to answer this. To be a super ager, you want to have an opportunity to be fully engaged in life for as long as you have life. Mm-hmm. And that goes, in, I think, in, in more than one direction. So the older adult is aging in a way that they still feel like they are engaged and part of the life around them. Mm-hmm. And that those who are in their lives feel that they are getting from that older adult the full benefit of their wisdom and their experience. And that I think of like grandparents handing off their their wisdom, their experiences, but also their love, that unconditional love that grandparents have for their kid, their grandkids. That having that that engagement that goes both ways in terms of the exchange of life and ideas. And this is where working in dementia, I feel like that cuts short that ability to fully engage and be present. And we we lose their their memories, their history, mm-hmm. uh, and their ability to really have that back and forth with their loved ones. Yeah, that makes dementia very, very sad. And, it, you know, what you just mentioned reminds me, my interactions with my grandmother, when I last saw her, and that time she had dementia, it was so different. And talking about the history That is the time that I wanted to collect those histories on tape from her and couldn't do it because it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. It was stolen by dementia at the time. So she doesn't have it anymore. So it is hard for dementia. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So hormone therapy at menopause, as I mentioned, that's one thing I wanted us to discuss. So hormone replacement therapy is a medication that contains female hormones. So can you give us a short description of why some women elect to pursue hormone replacement therapy? Sure, sure. And it is one, (laughs) it's a history that is fraught with sexism, I'll be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, Originally, hormone therapy, and it was called hormone replacement therapy, meaning the replacement of a deficiency. So this idea that at menopause, women's hormonal milieu is changing. She's losing ovarian forms of hormone. Um, So this originally was touted as a way to as a fountain of youth to keep women young and attractive and reverse what is the aging process. Mm. Um, So it was called hormone replacement therapy. Well, understandably, women had a gut reaction to this saying, well, why do you want to fix something that is actually not wrong? Yeah. So, and it had these undertones of sexism about women's value. If a woman is not valuable once she's postmenopausal. So there was a reaction to it, understandably. So the name changed to hormone therapy, uh, okay. meaning that for those women who are going through menopause and they have symptoms that are bothering them, they have an option to help ease some of these symptoms. And it's not to reverse aging. It's not to make a woman younger or sexier or to somehow alter her aging process. Instead, it's to help her ease these symptoms. 
by transitioning or allowing the hormones to taper as opposed to abruptly change. So hormone therapy, how it would be used is for women who are experiencing symptoms at menopause and symptoms that are bothersome. Right. Yeah. So typically when we think of menopause, just like you said, um, for our listeners, you may think of heart flashes, irritability, and perhaps fatigue. What type of symptoms do you think menopause can be elevated by hormone therapy? So the things that are most effectively addressed with hormone therapy mm -hmm. at menopause mm -hmm. are the, the hot flashes. Okay. Absolutely. That addresses hot flashes. Okay. And it, it also addresses what are really troublesome for some women, the sexual side effects. There's strongest evidence that it helps with the sexual side effects of menopause as well as with hot flashes. There's also some support that it can help with mood and with sleep as well. Okay. What are the sexual side effects of menopause? The sexual side effects, it can be reduced libido and okay. vaginal dryness. Okay. Um, which then can cause pain during intercourse. Yeah. Okay. So um, the therapy tends to fix that as well. Absolutely. Okay. Great. Thanks for explaining that. What are some of the cognitive symptoms that are associated with menopause? So um, a lot of women complain about their sort of feel like they're foggy or that they just can't think as clearly during going through menopause. And there was a, there's been some really nice observational study to support that. So there are many women experience these symptoms. And for some women, they continue beyond the menopausal transition. They're most noticeable in the area of processing speed. So how quickly we can think. And the second area where it affects is our ability to learn new information. We, we benefit less from repetition or it takes longer or more repetitions. Um, for us to form memories. It does not mean that a woman's memory and thinking abilities are changing in the direction where they're impaired, but there's a noticeable decline in function. And it seems to be a somewhat noticeable or abrupt decline in that there's an inflection point. So that the changes that are happening at menopause, it does seem like there is a bend in the curve okay. happening at menopause. All right. So now this is not about menopause now, but is there anything in the man's aging process that happens to them that sort of induces that kind of cognitive issues? There is a literature on andropause, meaning that a male type of menopause, andropause, okay. um, that there are declines in testosterone with aging in men. But okay. the difference for men and women is that for women, it's much more abrupt. Okay. For men's, it's gradual. So men's andropause may last 15 years. Women's menopause may last four years. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. I was going to say, like, will that be the reason why there's more women with cognitive issues than men? But at least you, you had some answers to something yeah. happening with men as well. But there's some thinking that, because women go through menopause and it's an abrupt transition that there is a greater risk conferred, but that is, it's not universally supported. Okay. Okay. So do we know why these symptoms may arise? The simple answer is that it's complex, <laughs> that okay. there's probably a combination of factors. Some people put it to more surface things like the, the sleep dysregulation that happens with menopause. 
There's also some school of thought that there's mood, the increased mood symptoms happening at menopause could be causing some of the cognitive symptoms. That there's huge amount of transition at menopause. Usually that there's life factors happening coincidentally at the time of menopause. Many women are becoming empty nesters, for example. There's that school of thought. And I would say that that's an and statement with the other more biological perspective that estrogen as a hormone is this sort of master regulator. And it just so happens that the brain has a lot of estrogen receptors in areas that have nothing to do with sexual function or cyclical control of hormones. So for example, there's a lot of hormone receptors in an area of the brain called the hippocampus, which is responsible for formation of new memory. So estrogen appears to be this sort of neuromodulatory hormone that probably there's enough basic science evidence to suggest it plays a role in maintaining brain health. Wow. So a lot of things working together. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Are there uh, specific risk factors that these symptoms during that happens, these symptoms during menopause? Are there specific risk factors? Or this, does this happen to all women? The evidence points towards a compounding effect for women who have a couple of other factors going on. So you, the answer is no, it does not happen for all women. Okay. If you have underlying cardiovascular disease mm-hmm. at menopause, you are more likely to feel those effects. The okay. other one is genetic. If you have an, if you're a carrier of the apolipoprotein E gene mm-hmm. um, or allele, you're more likely to exhibit those effects. So one, you can do something about the other. You can't do anything about your genetics, but you could do something about the underlying risk factors related to cardiovascular health. Would that be the same gene that when you have it, you're likely to have dementia? Correct. Yes. Yeah. It has an inter, there's an interplay with hormone loss at menopause and the ApoE4 genotype. Interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. What is the typical role of cognition? The typical role of cognition? Estrogen on cognition. Hmm. Thinking again, going back to the idea that estrogen may be this sort of master regulator. Okay. Um, we, we know, and there's a couple of different lines of research on this. We know from the basic science that estrogen plays a major role in metabolic function mm-hmm. um, and in regulating that. Then we know even from watching women and in even mice, rodent studies, animal studies about looking over their cycles, their hormone cycles, and women's hormone cycles, that cognition changes over the course of a cycle. And then the final piece is looking at administering hormone therapy to women at menopause. And what we have found is that in human trials, looking at a form of a pill or a patch form of hormone therapy, Uh where there's minimal effort to mimic a premenopausal state, hormone therapy given at menopause is neither beneficial nor harmful for cognition. Hormone therapy given to much older women. 65 years and older mm-hmm. is considered harmful for cognition. Huh. So think of it as this well, regulator. It would be more beneficial with less side effects, you mean? For younger women, mm-hmm. it would actually have the, for women who need it for their control of menopausal symptoms, the way I phrase it is they can be reassured that they're not causing harm. Okay. Um, at, if they're taking it at menopause. 
the regulation part of it is the thinking is that it may, if it's a regulatory hormone, right, that you may, for healthy systems, keep those healthy systems functioning well, mm-hmm. but for dysregulated or unhealthy systems, you may hasten the dysregulation or potentiate the dysregulation. Interesting. Can you remind me again or remind our listeners too, what age is premenopausal symptoms? When does that age start? And when does the menopause itself start? Yes. And is this the same for everybody or different? It is. It's different for everybody. And there are factors that go into that. But um, usually if you can pay attention to when your mother went through menopause, you'll get a clue about okay. when yours was. So the, the only demarcation we have um, for certain is your final menstrual period or last menstrual period. Mm-hmm. That if you are a year past your last menstrual period, you're considered postmenopausal. It's a phase. It's not a time point, though. However, in the, those years preceding your final menstrual period, there was a period of dysregulation. You might have noticed that there are the periods are less consistent. The cycles um, might be shorter. They might be longer. There might be heavier flow, all sorts of things that are changing. So usually the estimates are anywhere between four to seven years before that final menstrual period, you are going through some perimenopausal and menopausal transition. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. It's a really nice graph uh, or a staging system now that the... Their Harlow system helps us gauge how we define menopause and its transition. It's a transition. It's not an event. Yeah, it is. Great. What is the link between estrogen and cognitive symptoms of menopause? So we we go back to that idea that if you are your estrogen levels are dropping, mm-hmm. and we know that estrogen doesn't just stay in the body; it's very active in the brain as well. So. The cognitive symptoms that we that I mentioned already about the processing speed and the difficulty learning new information may be because of that sort of neuroendocrine function of estrogen in the brain. I also add in there, it could also be the link between sleep and mood as well, because we know that there's an uptick in depression at menopause too for some women. So it could be that combination of both situational things, mood as well as what's happening in the brain, that if it's if estrogen levels are dropping, you're losing that regulatory function of the hormone. Wow, thank you. Are there a difference between the changes in cognition that occurs in aging and the potential changes in cognition that occurs during menopause? Yeah, and absolutely. Aging, we know, causes declines in things like processing speed and ability to learn new information, like I already mentioned, linked to estrogen changes. The difference, though, would be that sort of inflection point that happens with the sudden changes in estrogen. So you expect with aging to it to be a slow, steady type of process. You wouldn't expect it to be a more rapid or a steeper decline. Okay. So that would be the distinction between menopause and aging. Okay. Are the changes in the cognition during menopause temporal? That's a really good question. Um, a couple of years ago, I would have said yes. The evidence points towards it being temporary, and then you revert to your normal status. But it looks like for some women, there is a change in trajectory 
perhaps set at menopause. There's also a link between menopause and inflammation. So there seems to be an uptick in inflammation and also then heart disease as well at menopause. Possibly those things are then influencing that change trajectory in aging for some women. This menopause thing is quite something, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. Oh my gosh. And this is something that, again, it's, wow. it is, it's not a disease, but it is something, it's an event in one's life. Yeah, yeah. The estrogen and menopause thing with cognition reminds me of how gestational diabetes can come into play. Like, let's say with gestational diabetes, typically the, the diabetes disappear after you have your baby, but then potentially could come back in the later life, maybe midlife also. Would that be true for menopause and cognitive issues? Absolutely. You think of what's happening during pregnancy and post-pregnancy as one of those events too, where you see rapid changes in hormonal milieu, mm. especially postnatally, huge abrupt changes. And right. perhaps that abruptness and changes then it sort of that dysregulation of a dysregulated system might be more evident. Mm. So absolutely, there's a link there. And we know that for women who were on, were given hormone therapy late in life, who had diabetes, mm -hmm. were the group at greatest risk to progress to cognitive impairment and dementia. So having diabetes and adding, once you have diabetes, adding in hormone therapy, it could be harmful. It could be harmful. So mm -hmm. that's, that's really an important piece there because not many people would have that information and we know now diabetes seem to be like sky you know up there so many people have diabetes so for people who have that even for people who probably don't even have the diabetes but had gestational diabetes earlier on and the diabetes is not showing in midlife should those people be taking the therapy and plus, do you know if there is information out there informing them about the risk of taking the therapy if they had diabetes? Because we know not a whole lot happens in the doctor's office, and that's where these things need to be happening. Well, and the simple answer is we definitely, we just need more data. We need more, mm -hmm. a deeper understanding of this. You're right. You're getting pretty far into the woods here in terms of understanding hormone therapy and menopause and the relationship to diabetes. Right. Um, if a woman's at risk for diabetes, again, I'm not a physician, but I would think very closely about whether you want to, if she's if she has insulin resistance, right? would you start, uh, again, a drug that has shown in older women to maybe hasten or, or add to a dysregulation in a system that's already dysregulated? Does it light a fire, so to speak, in this dysregulation? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The answer is, I don't know, but I, I guess for me personally, I probably would avoid it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And But the, the struggle is for women who are cardiovascularly healthy, who maybe have this remote history of diabetes, but they themselves are healthy, Mm -hmm. Whether they take hormone therapy for a brief period of time during the transition to help them sleep better, perhaps to um, lower that risk for inflammation, um, a cardiovascular disease, 
That is the million dollar question that we don't really have good answers yet for. Yeah, and the sleep piece is so important for our cognitive health, um, our brain health. And yes. It, that is disrupted for number of years because of menopause. And, you know, I can see how that can impact our brain functioning as well. Yeah, it's such a, it's so fascinating and so complex. Um, It's one of those things that I feel like the more I know, the less we understand. I love how complex it is. That's true. That's true. If cognitive changes occur during menopause, does it relate to incidents of Alzheimer's and other dementia? Yeah, that that's the current thinking is that if they're you're lowering at the very minimum, you're lowering your reserve. Mm. So think about you have um, sort of a buffer at some point before you cross the threshold to impairment. You have a buffer. If you are chipping away at that buffer by um, slowing your processing speed through other changes in your brain, you raise the risk for crossing that threshold. Wow. Okay. So final question here. What do you do to practice self-compassion? Oh, thank you for that question. Um, I think it's so important. I think like a lot of women in the professional space, there's a, you are, you're overcommitted. (laughs) Simple as that. You've got commitments both at work and at home. I try to keep things in perspective is, is a way to practice compassion, to help understand too, that there's such thing as good enough. Um, (laughs) You know, that this is, and it's okay. And I encourage other, other women to also be just, we need to be good enough at times to allow ourselves that. And to just forgive if we're not perfect all the time, it's so hard because you know, that whole, that imposter syndrome, you're always like thinking, well, I have to be perfect. Otherwise I'll be found out. For for me to be perfect. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We want to get everything right. And that's not, it's not healthy for us. It's first of all, it's not possible. Yeah. We're good enough and we need to identify that. Absolutely. There can be, there are times in our life where we can just be good enough and that's, that is perfectly reasonable and it's actually healthy. Absolutely is. What do you do for self-care? I'm a huge reader, so I love novels. Um, Okay. And it's also like, I love to read novels about other cultures and other people and other perspectives I feel like I, where I've grown the most in my life are through my friendships and through seeking out experiences and trying to understand people who are different than me. Yeah. I'm so grateful for my, my friendships because again, it's not that it's a responsibility to teach me, but I've learned so much through those friendships. It's enriching. It's so enriching. Yeah. 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 That's great. That's great. Is there anything else you want to discuss that we haven't said here? Uh, well, I, we could talk all day, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's been so fun. No, it's been really lovely having this conversation. And I appreciate your your willingness to ask these really tough questions around the brain and estrogen and what we know and revealing what we don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's a delight to have you on. And this is very enlightening to hear all these things. Like you said, we can go on all all day because I'm like curious to know all these things. But 
this was very good information you provided. So thank, thank you, you very much. Yeah, I know for half the population of the world, we have skin in the game in these conversations. <laughs> That's right. We do. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> thank you very much. You are most welcome. You have a, a lovely rest of your day. You do the same. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Super Agent Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out by leaving us a comment or sending us a message at superagentpodcast at gmail.com or connect with us through social media. And if you haven't done so already, please feel free to subscribe to any of your favorite podcast listening sites apple spotify or anywhere you listen to your podcast and leave us a review until next time remember that self-care is self-love take good care <laughs>